Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn. Join us today as Pastor David Daniels unpacks A Hope Worth Having, a sermon on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. And I thank John for giving me the privilege of uh, speaking today. He was very busy moving his mom to another location. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 this morning. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Before I read, let me ask you a question. What do you hope for? What kinds of things make up your hopes and dreams? I grew up in a Christian home in Vermont, and during my childhood years, there was a lot of prophetic preaching, a lot of preaching on the second coming of Christ. And I remember evangelists preaching in our church and telling us that the Lord might return before that service was over so that we needed to make ourselves right with God through faith in Christ. And, and consequently, in our home and when my parents would have friends over, often the conversation would be, you know, the Lord could come tonight. And so I, I remember one Christmas morning, there were five boys and one girl in our family, and sitting in all of that pile of wrapping paper that you would have uh, with six kids opening presents, hoping that Jesus would not come before next Christmas. <laughs> Fast forward a few years, I remember... And I'm not embellishing this when I say it. As a young man, I remember in March 1973 on the 22nd, hoping that Jesus would not come before the end of the next day, because that's when I would marry my wife, Lois. We have lots of things we hope for in a more serious way. We hope for a good report from the doctor. We hope the job will come through, the promotion will come through. We hope that a relationship might be repaired. There are all kinds of things that we hope for. Most of those hopes relate to life here and now. They don't necessarily relate to the next life, which is the longest life, because it's forever. Peter, in his first letter, was writing to Christians scattered throughout the then Roman Empire, Christians who were discouraged, Christians who were fearful, Christians who were confused because they had entrusted their life to Christ and, and things were difficult. And their, their neighbors didn't like them anymore. They had trouble in their workplaces uh, some of them were losing their lives. It was just a difficult time. And Peter wrote, and one of the themes out of his first letter is a theme of hope in the middle of trouble, in the middle of trials. Peter is sometimes called the apostle of hope because in this letter, if we were to look at it all, we would see that there are some common themes to trust the Lord, to live obediently no matter what the circumstances might be, to keep focused on God's ultimate deliverance. 
and taking us to that new heaven and earth where righteousness dwells. But does life really work that way? If things aren't going good well for you, do you first think about, well, one day I'll be with the Lord? And some people do, but not all people. Can we really live with hope when it seems like everything around us is crashing? It was Sunday afternoon, August 20th this year. Uh, we were home from church, Lois and I, and the phone rang, and it was my oldest brother who phoned to tell me that our only sister had passed away that morning in the hospital. My sister, Gail, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in her mid-40s. When she died, she would have been in December 72. She's the next child in line after me. It was an aggressive rheumatoid arthritis, and I, and I think just about every joint that could be replaced in her body had been replaced at some point over that 25 years or so. She lived with constant pain excruciating pain. And every once in a while she would say when we would talk on the phone, I don't know why God is punishing me. And of course we would try to encourage her that she shouldn't necessarily view that as God punishing her. Though it was a bitter providence that God chose for her life. Did she live with hope? I am sure some days she felt really hopeless and helpless. And as the disease spread on, by the end of her life, she was pretty much bedridden, couldn't feed herself, and just in pain. And that Sunday morning, August 20th, her body just gave up, and she went home to be with the Lord. At the funeral, though, as her only daughter gave the eulogy, one of the things that she talked about was my sister's devotion to prayer. And every day, she would pray for her whole family and for others. In the years that she was able, she was very active in, in the church where she was a member in Fredericton. And so in the midst of really difficult circumstances, and I can't really imagine what her life was like, she never lost hope that she belonged to the Lord and that one day she would be with him and of course she is now. And that's the only hope really worth having. I want to talk about that this morning, but first let's read. Uh, and if I'm reading from the English Standard Version, you, uh, many of you will have another translation. On that handout is, is the scripture in the ESV if you want to follow it in that one. Beginning at verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May God bless the reading of his word. Peter says, after this statement in verse 3 of praise to the God and Father of Jesus, that according to his mercy, he gave us new birth, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. There are about five things about this hope, and you will see it in the handout, that I would like for us just to think about for a few minutes this morning. First, a living hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you notice, if you're a Christian today, you are a Christian because God did something in your life. He caused you to be born again. He brought all of the circumstances together, all of the opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel, and the Spirit of God opened your heart to understand that and you became a believer. You were born again to a living hope. What is that hope? That hope is our salvation. It's to be with Jesus one day in a new heaven and a new earth, and he calls it a living hope. It's a living hope because it's grounded in the living word of God. This book that we carry around it's a book just like any other book, but the message in this book, the words on these pages are living words. They change us. They'll either change us for better or they'll condemn us if we don't believe it and follow it. But it's a living word. Peter says that. Notice, uh, if you have your Bible open, over in verse 23 of chapter 1, he's going to say, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This is not just any book. This is a living book. And the message is a life-changing message. It's living because it's made possible by a living Savior. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul, in his first letter to Corinthians, and Pastor John will get there, 
in a few weeks' time or maybe a few months' time, not sure how fast you'll go. But he's going to get to chapter 15 where we find out just how important the resurrection of Jesus is. If Jesus is not a living Savior, we don't have any hope. In fact, Paul will say, we're of all people most hopeless and helpless and to be pitied. But he's a living Savior because he was risen from the dead. And because of that, we have this living hope made possible. And this hope motivates us to live in a certain way. I don't know if you're used to turning when, when uh, usually we put the verses up on the screen, but I was too lazy to get PowerPoints to Cindy in time. So uh, in Titus chapter 2, there's a tremendous statement about the effect of the gospel on our lives. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And notice what it does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have ups and downs. We have mountaintop experiences. We have deep valleys. As Christians, we still sin. We still disobey God. We still go our own way. But if we truly belong to the Lord, the Spirit of God will not let us go away forever. And he will at some point draw us back in. And my wife and I constantly thank the Lord. Our oldest son wandered from the Lord for 17 years into adulthood from, from his teen years. And at times, it seemed like nothing would ever change. And then one day, nothing to do with us, we discovered he had come back to the Lord and is following the Lord today and involved in in his church, and in serving the Lord. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. It's a living hope. And if you have that hope today, there will be something in beating in your heart that says, I want to live the way God wants me to live. And some days the devil will get the upper hand and we will not live the way God wants us to live, but we will not be happy about it. And it will bother us. And he'll be like the hound of heaven who will not let go. And one day draw us back. It's a living hope. And because it's a living hope, it's an enduring hope. In our text, there are three verbal adjectives that describe this hope. God has caused us, verse 3, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And then he describes it with three words that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. When he says our hope is imperishable, it will not be touched by death. Our hope doesn't disappear at death. 
In fact, we come to realize our hope in a, in a real way in the moment of death. It's indestructible. Nothing can change that salvation or that hope. It's undefiled. That means it's unstained by evil. It can't be spoiled. There's nothing about the hope that we have in Jesus that can be ruined. It's a perfect hope. Imperishable, undefiled. It's unfading, undiminished by time or circumstances. Many of you probably have investments of one kind or another. Last couple of years, it's been exciting in a very negative way to have investments. Uh, they can disappear in a moment's time. I remember years ago when I was pastor at Port Perry, uh, when I had to go to a barber shop, being at the barber shop, and Barbara Rick said he had just put all of his investment in Laidlaw Transportation because they had such a great dividend. And I was just starting out in uh, a little bit of investing. I thought, well, I'm going to buy some Laidlaw. So I, I bought a few shares, and the thing tanked. Now, thankfully, I only put a few dollars in. He had put everything in, and it literally tanked. And I think past Barbara Rick is still barbering because he doesn't have that. The wonderful thing about our hope of seeing Jesus, of being with Jesus, of belonging to Jesus, of living in a new heaven and a new earth is no circumstance can take that away. John mentioned and has mentioned and we've prayed for what's going on in the Middle East. And, you know, on both sides, the, I have no sympathy for terrorists at all, but there are many, many people, and I met some of them when I was in Israel uh, some years ago, Christians who live in the territories, the Palestinian territories. Some of them have died. I think of the people because of war. War is a horrible thing. And at the end of the day, there are no winners in a war, just losers. And the losers are the ordinary people who just want to have a life, who just want to marry and have children and families and, and have a career. But it's gone. In a moment of time, their homes are leveled. There's nothing to go back to. And Lois's dad and my dad fought in World War II, and my dad would never watch a war movie because he said it glamorizes war in some way, and there was nothing glamorous about the war. It's just a lot of pain and bloodshed. And so I think about people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they lose everything that this life offers, what hope do they have? They're hopeless. And in many ways, they're helpless. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, 
he wrote to them and he said to them, you were actually helpless and hopeless without God. Before they had come to know Christ as Savior. But the hope that you and I have, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. If some enemy should attack Canada today and bomb Brooklyn, and everything that we owned earthly was gone, we would still, if we are Christians, have hope. Because we know this is not our final stopping place. We're strangers and aliens, the Bible says. We're traveling through this world to the new world. And we have to live in this world. We have to make a living in this world. And we marry and we raise families and we have relationships. And it's not always easy, as we'll see in a moment. But our ultimate hope of glory with Jesus Christ can never be taken away. And if someone took our life, we would enter into that hope immediately. To be absent from the body, Paul wrote, is to be present with the Lord. And so my sister, who laid in that hospital bed that Sunday morning in terrible pain, in a moment, was set free and in the presence of the Lord. And that will be our destiny also if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's a hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Peter's not theorizing here because even in his own life, if you know the New Testament story, you'll know Jesus called Peter out of a business of fishing. He was a fisherman. And he... He had a boat, maybe several boats. Maybe he had some employees. He was making a living. And then Jesus called him and he left that behind and followed Jesus. He went back and fished. So he may have carried on his business while he followed Christ in those three and a half years of Christ's earthly ministry. But at some point, Peter transitioned to a preacher of the gospel. And he ended up being, tradition tells us, crucified upside down because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote about a hope prompted by the Spirit of God that he knew was real because he didn't have a cushy life. He had a, a difficult life. It's an enduring hope because it leads us to a sure salvation a salvation that can never be lost. Listen to how Peter describes it in the text. We've been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. CIBC has my investments but they don't have my hope. My hope of being with Christ is kept in heaven. And there's no market crash in heaven. There's no war in heaven that can take that hope away. It's kept in heaven 
for you. Some years ago when our son was living in BC, we went out on a trip there and as part of our trip we were going to go up to Whistler and so we were staying in a hotel I think the town was Squamish, but I, I can't really remember now. On the way up to Whistler, we had a reservation at a hotel, and you know we did all the right things. We reserved it. This was back about 20 years or so ago. Uh, with a credit card guarantee, we said we're going to arrive late. So we arrived about 10.30, and they didn't have our room. They said, sorry, we're, we're full. Uh, Motel Super 8 or whatever it was down the road, they have a room. But we'll give you a free coupon for breakfast. I thought to myself, you think I'm driving back here for breakfast when you gave up my room? There are many things in this life that we hope for and we count on that don't happen. We think they're going to happen. Maybe people give us their word that it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen. But this hope will happen because it's kept in heaven for us. He says, it's kept in heaven for you who, and the who there is us, believers, by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is kept in heaven because God is guarding us right now. In fact, Paul says that in chapter 1 of Ephesians uh, that when God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, one of the things he did was sent his Holy Spirit to seal us. The promise, the Spirit of God comes to live within us as believers, and it's his down payment promising that we'll be resurrected on that last day and we'll be ushered into the presence of our Savior to live forever. Our inheritance is kept in heaven, and we are guarded by God himself. That's why Jesus could say, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who can destroy the soul in hell. You see, if God put his hand on us, Jesus said, nobody can pluck us out of the Father's hand. The worst this world could do to a Christian is take their life. But they can't take our soul. They can't take our future. They can't take our inheritance. That's kept in heaven for us, guarded by God himself. And that inheritance is ours through faith. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. I believe it. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. That's like you've got a leaf blower, electric one, but you have to plug it into an outlet for it to go. The outlet is like faith. Faith plugs us into the purpose and plan of God. We trust him, and we rest in him, and he guards our inheritance, and he guards us, and guarantees that one day we're going to experience it. It's an enduring hope. But you know, 
We have a living and enduring hope, but that doesn't guarantee that we don't have problems. And so Peter acknowledges that this inheritance may well bring suffering. Isn't that what he says? Verse 6, in this you rejoice, this hope that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. For a little while, if necessary. It's not a guarantee that you're going to face trouble. You may know people who seem to have gone all through their lives and everything just fell in the right place for them. And then you see other people, it seems like every morning they get up, there's another problem. And they're both Christians. I am sure my sister felt that way at times. Why did God choose this life for her? And, it, and we don't ultimately have an answer for that. It, it's in the providence of God, and he, and he knows what he's doing, and he has a reason for what he is doing. But this living and enduring hope is a suffering hope. Peter directs his readers in this first letter their attention to the great hope because he knows they're experiencing difficulties in their life. Look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter. They're facing testing and temptation. Look at verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your souls. Every single one of us, myself included here, there are things that tempt us and try us and try to woo us away from following our Savior. And Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In other words, you're going through this life. You're going through this world. And there are things that are going to tempt you to walk away. But remember, this is not your final place. You're headed to a new world where righteousness dwells, where everything is right, where there's no pain or sorrow or sickness. So he says, abstain from passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Did you ever think about temptation in that way that every time we have victory over temptation... It's going to compel the ungodly on the day of judgment to glorify God for what he did in your life. Temptations. Uh, a little bit further along in chapter 2, verse 21, we read this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Insults and persecutions. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. In fact, several times in the New Testament it says, if you're insulted or persecuted for following Christ, you're blessed. In Acts chapter 5, when some of the apostles had been hauled before the religious council in Jerusalem and commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, and then they were beaten, they went from that time of persecution rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. We have a hope that sometimes brings suffering. Look at what Peter says in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. He says this, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And what do they want to do? Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now look at verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Now, some of you probably came to faith in Jesus Christ as adults and had a lifestyle that you left behind as you began to follow Christ. And you may have found that some of your friends did not understand why you didn't want to live the way you were living before. And they malign you. They're they're not content to feel sorry for you. They malign you Because your new life is a rebuke to their life. But that's part of living with a suffering hope. John Newton, the slave trader who became a believer, wrote that most famous of hymns, Amazing Grace. And one of the verses goes, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. God never promised a life of ease to his children. Throughout human history, God's people have always experienced suffering if they were determined to follow him. You cannot live in a world that is against God and not expect to face difficulty. In fact, Paul said to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, who was the pastor in Ephesus, he reminded him, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in my lifetime, which is longer than most of you, I have seen our culture go from quasi-Christian, that is, a lot of Christian values were shared by the society at large, to not only 
is this no longer what I grew up hearing non-Christians say, the good book? Many people say it's a piece of hate literature because it points out sin and it points out immorality and it points out ways that we ought not to live. And many of you already know in your workplace, if you're known as a Christian, you're already in trouble. You're already looked down upon. And you're already worked against. And there are many Christians who don't get promotions. There are many Christians, not only do they not get promotions, sometimes they lose their jobs simply because they won't follow the climate of the, of the culture. A suffering hope. And that suffering hope leads to the fact that it becomes a refined hope. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And what does he say? These various trials come. But notice it said, for a little while, if necessary. You're not always going to face a trial, but we have to be ready to recognize that a trial may come. And it'll be for a while. He said, it comes, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is refining us through the trials that his providence takes us through. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, we're told that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, but that conformity involves that purification process, that refining process. Just like gold has to go through a refining process to take the impurities out to get as close to the pure gold as possible, God is allowing challenges into our lives to clear away the dross, to clear away the sin, to clear away the stuff that keeps us from fully following Christ so that when that day comes when he ushers us into his presence, we'll be holy people, fully consecrated and sanctified to live in his presence. It's a refined hope. And that refined hope enables us to continue trusting with great joy because we know what the end result is going to be. Now the interesting thing is Peter puts in here that this was an anticipated hope. The Old Testament writers of Scripture, the prophets, notice what it says in verse 10 of 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When was the last time you contemplated the thought that the hope you have 
is something angels would like to understand. We think of angels as these beings out there and they know way more than we do and, and we are a little lower than the angels. But they don't understand the grace of God and salvation. They long to look into that. The prophets didn't really understand who they were writing for and it was revealed to them that they were writing for the people of God to come about the Messiah and Savior who was to come. So it's an anticipated hope. How strongly have Christians believed in this hope? There's a story of the 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon who pastored in London and in his ministry baptized 14,000 people over the years of his ministry. He once said in a sermon that he was so sure of his salvation that he could grab onto a corn stalk, swing out over the fires of hell, look into the face of the devil and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. I don't know if I would say that in a sermon. I don't even know if I want to contemplate that idea. But he was sure. And he devoted his life. And he, by the way, had a difficult life too of physical ailments, but never faltered because he had a living hope. Do you have that living hope? I trust that you do. Thanks again for joining us. For more information, please visit brooklynrbc.ca. The link is also in our bio. On behalf of the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn, we pray you have a blessed week.